Good morning. Well, this morning we continue our Advent series in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. Last week we heard from verse 18 that Christ is the head of the church. Uh, This morning we're going to turn to the other title, one of the other titles in verse 18, which is Christ is firstborn from the dead. And as has been our practice during this series, we're going to read the full passage this morning to understand the context. And now, young worshipers that are with us this morning, Christ is called firstborn twice in this passage. So I want to ask you, young worshipers, what is he called firstborn of or firstborn from, and what do you think that means? Hear now the word of the Lord from Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, work in our hearts once again by your Spirit, we pray. Help us to find in you humility and hope this Advent season. And Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. If you were to make a list of the names and titles that are given to Jesus, what would come to your mind this morning? I encourage you, even now, on your bulletin or on a scratch piece of paper, start writing down a few of the names and titles that you know of Jesus. Whether you're a long-time Christian, whether you're new to the faith, whether you don't know much about Christianity, I'm sure you know some titles and names of Jesus. And as you begin to list those, we often don't think of people as having titles in this country because, believe it or not, we don't have a monarch, we don't have an aristocracy. Actually, it's actually written into our Constitution that the U.S. can't give a title of nobility to anyone. It's, in the, it's called the Emoluments Clause of our Constitution. And if you're holding office and a, and a foreign state wants to give you a title, Congress has to approve it. Right? The idea was they didn't want anybody to be beholden to a foreign state. They wanted to keep integrity, which is good. But sometimes for us, we tend to miss what titles actually mean because they mean something and they have something to tell us. Now, what's your list looking like this morning? What's been on it so far? Maybe you've listed Jesus as Christ, which means Messiah or Anointed One. Maybe you've said He's Savior or Redeemer, Son of God, Son of Man, the Lamb of God. Or maybe you're really thinking about Christmas and you think King of Kings, Lord of Lords. You think Isaiah 9, you think Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, beautiful and important titles. Where on our list does the title firstborn from the dead fit in? How long would we have to list titles and names of Jesus before that would come to our mind? 
And indeed, it is a title given to Christ, given in Colossians, given in Revelation. Paul actually describes it in the book of Acts. So it is a title. But certainly, it's not something that immediately comes to our minds, something probably we haven't thought about a good bit. And yet, as we'll see, it's vitally important to understand who Jesus is, to understand that he's firstborn from the dead. It's also vitally important, then, to understand Christmas, because Christ in all his fullness came to earth, and we need to know why. So it matters what it means that he's firstborn from the dead. It was also important to the Colossians who Paul was writing to in this letter. Paul was writing to a church like us in that he had never been to the Colossian church. He, he, he had heard about them, but he never visited. And so he's encouraging them to worship Christ as supreme over angels, over Greek and Roman gods, over all of these things. And so these verses, 15 through 23, are in effect this really high Christology of who Jesus is. Almost just listing title after title after title of Jesus. Now we've seen so far in this series that he's the image of the invisible God. He's the creator. He's the head of the church. And now we come to the title, Firstborn from the Dead. And so to understand what that means, we're going to examine three questions this morning. What does it mean for Christ to be firstborn? What does it mean for Christ to be firstborn from the dead? And finally, what does it mean for us? So first, what does it mean for Christ to be firstborn? Well, as we'll see, and as I told the young worshipers, the word firstborn occurs twice in this passage. Yes, in verse 18, where it's firstborn from the dead. But look at verse 15 with me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So it says first, he's the firstborn of all creation. So to understand the second use of firstborn, we've got to back up and understand this one first. In order, in order to understand firstborn from the dead, we first have to understand what it means that Christ is firstborn over creation, or firstborn of all creation. Now when we hear the term firstborn, it's really easy to import our modern notions of birth order. Like, yes, they're firstborn, but they're just the first child of many children, and so it just means that they're the first in the line of priority. But in the ancient world, there was more than priority. You see, firstborn, yes, it had authority, or sorry, it had, it had uh, priority in mind, but it primarily had authority in mind. See, the firstborn was the sole heir of the estate, the sole one who had the inheritance. Think back to some of the stories you know from the Old Testament. That's why in the story of, of Jacob and Esau, Esau is supposed to get the blessing, and it's a problem when Jacob actually, actually sneakily gets it out from under him, Right? There's actually something that's supposed to be given to the firstborn. It's not just, well, you know, Esau's first and then he takes, you know, Jacob takes the title. No, there's a blessing that's supposed to come to the firstborn. That's why it's a big deal that Esau trades away his birthright. Because his birthright is not just being the first in line. It's actually being the sole inheritor and getting the blessing. Uh, maybe you think about those things. One scene that comes to my mind is actually from the animated film Prince of Egypt. If you've, I don't know if you've seen it, but... There's a moment where Moses and his, his brother Ramses are racing chariots, and Ramses looks down and says, second born, second place, is what he says to him. Now, we might laugh at that in our modern context, because we know that's not really true, but that would have been such a barb back then, because he would have known, I'm not gonna, Moses would have known, I'm not going to inherit, it's actually his. That's the idea with firstborn. It's not simply birth order, but it's also inheritance. It's power and it's authority. So Christ, in Colossians, is called the firstborn of all creation. 
Again, at first glance, with our modern eyes, we might read that and say, oh, he's just the first of the creation. He's the first creature. He's the first of the created order, right? But we'd be thinking again in terms of priority and birth order. We know from the rest of Scripture, and indeed from the next two verses, as we saw a few Sundays ago, that Christ is the uncreated creator. Verse 16, for by him all things were created. He's always not a creation. Verse 17, he's before all things. Right? Just as a side note, it's important that we know that context matters when we, comes to, when we come to God's word. We need to get the whole picture of a verse or a passage, and we need the entire Bible to help us with that. We can't isolate one verse and take it out of context. Indeed, that's what happened with Colossians 1.15, with Arius, who, who believed that Christ was just the first of God's creations. But the problem is that doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture, indeed the rest of this passage. So if firstborn of all creation doesn't mean he's just the first of the created order, what does it mean? Well, it means he's firstborn in that he has the rights, the privileges, the authority to rule over creation itself. In Psalm 89, we actually recited this morning in our liturgy, this is what verse 27 says, speaking about David. And I will make him, that is David, the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, we know David is not the firstborn by birth order. He's not even the first king. So what's Psalm 89 prophesying? That he will rule over the kings of the earth. That he will have authority over them. And indeed, Christ becomes the Davidic heir. Or Christ is the Davidic heir. So it means ruling over, not just priority. So Christ is firstborn in that he has the unique rights and privileges over the creation that has been created, and indeed created through him, as we see in this passage. Some translations try to get at this idea by doing different things with this verse. Some say the NIV says firstborn over all creation. The New Living Translation says supreme over all creation. Both of those are trying to get at these ideas. Uh, One way to think about it is, have you ever walked into a restaurant or a small business or an office and framed on the wall is a dollar bill? Anybody ever seen that? I don't really know what people are going to start doing these days when all transactions are electronic. Maybe a screenshot of their first transaction. But you know if you've seen that, why do they have it on the wall? They have it because it comes first. right? And we'll see in a second what that means. We'll come back to that. But think about it this way. Maybe it's a, it's a parent who owns a company. And they give their child the company. The, 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 the child is the heir of the company. If I said they're the heir of the company, I don't mean that they're just one of the employees that decides that gets to inherit it, right? They win the lottery or something. I mean they're outside of it and they inherit the whole thing. That's the idea when Christ is firstborn of all creation. It's important to have that context in mind for firstborn that yes, priority is often in play, but also authority and power and inheritance are also in play. So that's what it means for Christ to be firstborn. But now specifically, what does it mean for Christ to be firstborn from the dead. We read this in Colossians 1.18. Look with me. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now just as a reminder, context matters. So before we talk about him being firstborn from the dead, what does it mean that he's the beginning right beforehand? We know, if we know our Bibles, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We know John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, speaking again of Christ. Well, just as there was a beginning to creation, there is a new beginning. 
You can't quite see it in the English. You can see it a little bit. But there's a parallel here in verses 15 and 18. It says, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then in verse 18, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There is a parallel. So in the same way that there's an old beginning, the beginning of all things in created order, there is a new beginning. And Paul is saying, Christ is this new beginning. Now, it's important to say, why, why, need, why a new beginning? Why do we need a new beginning? Because after creation, sin entered the world. Things got twisted in, in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, went against the Creator, went against the created order, and so brought sin and death into the world. And this death is, yes, physical death that we know all about, that our bodies break down and our bodies decay and we face death of ourselves and those we love. But death also in a relational sense. The breakdown of relationships, hatred, envy, pride, shame, blame, all of these things that we inherit that are problems, these come from the fall. But also spiritual death that we have evil in our hearts, that we do evil deeds, and that we run from the very God who loves us, and we're separated from Him. This comes in the fall. Verse 21 puts it this way in our passage. Look with me. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We needed a new beginning. So it's no coincidence in Colossians 1.18 that it says He is the beginning right next to firstborn from the dead because we needed a new beginning. Luke 1.78, a passage that we hear a lot this time of year, is He is the sunrise coming down from on high, or the day spring, meaning He's the beginning of that which is new. As Thomas Manton put it, an English Puritan and part of the Westminster Assembly, he said, Christ is the origin of a better world. But how? How is Christ the origin of a better world? How does that work? Just as He was the beginning, the firstborn over creation, how is He the firstborn over the new creation? Well, by going through the death that has come through the fall. By becoming the firstborn from the dead. Indeed, if you're going to be firstborn from the dead, that means you have to die. And Christ experienced the fullness of death when he came to earth. Indeed, to die, he had to first be born. To become the firstborn from the dead, he had to be first the firstborn of Mary. Yes, he experienced the fullness of relational death, the evil of this world. He experienced the brokenness of relationships. He experienced spiritual death, separation from his heavenly Father. But he also experienced full, physical, and painful death on the cross for us. And friends, this death, which would have meant the end for us, nothing but, nothing, not a new beginning for us, would have meant only the end. Yet for the firstborn over all creation, the firstborn of creation, for Christ himself, that meant a new beginning. Because on the third day, he really, truly, physically rose from the dead. And so we can call him the firstborn from the dead. As it says in verse 22, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He is the firstborn from the dead. We see this a few different times in the Old Testament, actually this idea of firstborn. Besides Jacob and Esau, there's Reuben, the son of Jacob, or the the first of the tribes of Israel, and yet... Even though he's firstborn, he loses his status as the firstborn through disobedience to his father, through sexual immorality. But yet we have Christ, who is the truer and better firstborn of Israel, who is faithful to his father and sheds his own blood to save his bride and love them as a perfect bridegroom. 
Our Old Testament reading this morning was from Exodus chapter 4, which is an odd verse or odd passage to read if you don't know what's coming. You don't really know what's going on, what's actually happening. But there is a picture of who Christ is as the firstborn in that passage. Because as Moses goes to deliver Egypt or deliver the Israelites from Egypt, he is going to die because he's still separated from God, not in the covenant according to what's supposed to happen. He hasn't circumcised his son. And so the blood of that act actually saves the man who would deliver God's people from Egypt. So in effect, the blood of the firstborn leads to the deliverance of God's people. And that dynamic is the same thing that we see in a greater and more true way in the New Testament, where the blood of Christ, the firstborn of the Father, but also the firstborn of Mary, saves his people from their sins. And he rises again from the dead, so he can be properly called firstborn. And yes, he's not the first of any sort of resurrection in the Bible. Indeed, we just finished a, path, or a series on Elijah and Elisha. So we saw some resurrections. Indeed, in Christ's own life, he raised people from the dead. right? But the problem is all of them died again. They were raised back to the old creation. They weren't raised into any type of new creation. But actually, Christ had a quality to his resurrection that was altogether different. Because he had a new, glorified, perfect body. And also, he would never die again. Indeed, he ascended into heaven. And so, he's firstborn from the dead, which means authority over death. It means that he can rule over it and now give that resurrection life to those who have faith in him. But it also means here priority, because he's the firstborn of many to come. Again, context. In the context of the New Testament, Paul actually refers to this idea a lot. In 1 Corinthians 15, he calls Jesus the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits, it means the beginning of the harvest, the very beginning of, of the fruits that you have, and you know when you have that, there is more that is coming. In Acts 26, Paul calls him the first to rise. If you call someone the first to rise, you're saying, hey, there's more to come. He calls him in Romans 8, the firstborn among many brothers. You see, in Jewish thought, in the Old Testament especially, and in the New Testament at the beginning of, of the time of Jesus, the thought was that the resurrection, the only resurrection that occurred would be at the final day when all of God's people would be resurrected together. They didn't have a category for one random resurrection in history. And so they understood when Christ was raised, this is the beginning of something that's going to happen. This is the beginning of the great resurrection that is to come. Going back to that dollar bill hanging on the wall of that, of that store or that office, right? You don't hang the second or the third dollar bill you make on the wall. You hang the first. Why? Because it is the beginning. It's the beginning of all that's going to happen, all of the, the money that is supposed to come from this business. For many, it's a new beginning that it represents for them in starting this business, starting this store. And so you hang that on the wall to say, this is the first of all that comes later. And so it has an authority and it has a place that nothing else does. So if that's what it means for Christ to be firstborn from the dead, that he has the authority and the power over death, but also is the first of many who are going to come later, what does it mean now, here today, for you and I, that Christ is firstborn from the dead? There are many things we could dig into this morning, but I want to draw our attention to two things. It means for us both humility and hope. Humility and hope. First, it means humility for us. As the end of verse 18 says, look with me, he's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
Now, preeminent means he's the first over all. He's surpassing all the others. It means that only Christ is preeminent. You can't have two that are preeminent. That doesn't make sense. You can't have two that are firstborn, right? But this is hard and difficult for us because if we're honest, we like to put ourselves first. We like to make ourselves preeminent. And this, this dynamic is not new in our day. It goes all the way back to the fall, actually. And in 3 John 9, John is writing to a church, and he talks about a man named Diotrephes. And he says, Diotrephes loves to put himself first, literally loves to make himself preeminent. And so he doesn't obey the authority of the apostles. But the thing is, you and I are just like Diotrephes. You and I are just like Adam and Eve way back when who wanted to be like God. And so they took and they ate. We love to put ourselves first. We do this in both very simple and easy ways, but also in very deep and harmful ways. For example, simple ways, when we cut in line, when we, get, when we put ourselves first to get something, when we take the last of something without asking, it's putting ourselves first. But deeper, when we seek the wants that we have over the needs of others and the needs of those we love, that's putting ourselves first. When we think we always know best, when we privilege our opinion above all others, that's putting ourselves first. And it's difficult because we reason with ourselves, well, I know what's best. I know the context of the situation. I know all of these things. But if we only ever listen to ourselves, that's putting ourselves first. A love of putting ourselves first is called pride. Think back this week. Where have you put yourself first? Where are those that you love that you need to actually ask forgiveness for, for putting yourself first? And yet, this passage is clear. Only Christ is first. Only Christ is preeminent. And actually, he came and had every right in the world to be first, but he chose to make himself nothing, to take the form of a servant. He chose to come to his death, to take on the, the humility of the incarnation. And you see, Christ attacks that idea of pride explicitly in what he's done because he says, by coming and being the firstborn from the dead, we deserve death. That strikes right at that idea of that we should be preeminent, that we should always put ourselves first. It strikes directly at that. You see, Christ is firstborn from the dead means that we follow him. It doesn't mean that he follows us. And this humility ought to work itself out in how we put him above ourselves, but also how we put others above ourselves. The way we sacrifice for others, care for them, put their needs ahead of our wants, those types of things. So just as we thought behind the week that we just left... How can we think ahead to where we can put others first and put Christ in his preeminent place in our lives? So Christ as firstborn from the dead means Christian and godly humility for us, even though we all love to put ourselves first. Well, second, Christ as firstborn from the dead means not just humility, but also hope. At the end of verse 22, it says he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If Christ is the firstborn from the dead, the first fruits of all those who, are, who will rise, all of you who have faith in him will one day rise to new, glorious, physical resurrection life, which is a great and a certain hope. But it also means that resurrection to come is in effect working backwards by the Spirit in our hearts even now, even now to stay the works of death that we have. So we have this hope as Christ, firstborn from the dead, even in the face of all the sin and evil and death that still exists in our world. 
in the face of physical death, the pain that we feel, the hurt and ache of our bodies that don't work, when we feel like an alien in our own skin, when we lose those that we love, when we face our own death, there is a resurrection hope in Christ who is firstborn from the dead. In the face of relational stress and upheaval and breakdown, there's hope for new life. There's hope for restored relationships in the one who's firstborn from the dead. And in the face of spiritual death, when we feel like we're separated from God, when we feel like we don't know where He is or what He's doing, we know that we can never be separated from Him because Christ took that for us at the cross when He was separated from the Father. Because He's firstborn from the dead, in all of these situations, we have hope. As Jesus says to his disciples right before he goes to the cross, he says, because I live, you also will live. You see, this Christ is firstborn from the dead attacks this idea of shame that we often all have, which is that we can't be loved. Who would love us? Who would want us? We just need to stick to ourselves and continue what we're doing because who would want someone like us? But the beauty is that Christ came for us. He was the firstborn from the dead for us. He loves us and he gives us hope and resurrection life in him. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but often we oscillate between pride and shame. Thinking on the one hand we're better than everyone else, but then in our weaker moments thinking, well, but would anyone actually love me and care for me? The thing is, the antidote to pride is not just a little more shame. And the solution to shame isn't just a little more pride. No, the solution, the antidote to pride is Christian humility coming from Christ who had to die for us, the firstborn from the dead. And the solution to shame is that Christ came and did and lovingly desired to die for us and that he gives us that new life and hope in him and he was raised from the dead for us. As theologian Matthew Henry once wrote, all of our hopes and joys take their rise from him who is the author of salvation. I don't think he would mind me saying this, all of our hopes and joys take our rise from him who rose from the dead. Firstborn for us. So Christ is firstborn from the dead means for us today humility and hope together. And it's no exaggeration to say that the the whole celebration of Christmas and what it means depends on Christ actually being firstborn from the dead. Let me explain what I mean, but I'm going to use the words of a, a Scottish theologian named James Denny. He wrote this many years ago. He said, If I were sitting on the end of a pier on a summer day, enjoying the sunshine and the air, And someone came along and jumped into the water and got drowned to prove his love for me. I should find it quite unintelligible. I might be much in need of love, but an act in no rational relation to any of my necessities could not prove it. But if I had fallen over the pier and were drowning, and someone sprang into the water and at the cost of making my peril, or what but for him would be my fate, his own, save me from death, then I should say greater love hath no man than this. This is the beauty of what we celebrate at Christmas, that Christ came to become the firstborn from the dead. And if we lose this, then then Christmas just becomes some cosmic oddity, some divine coincidence that Christ came to earth, God came to earth, but what did he actually do? He came for us to become firstborn from the dead. He came as firstborn over all creation with divine authority to rule and became for us firstborn from the dead. And in so doing, became the firstborn of Mary. He descended into earth. He descended into the state of the dead and the drowning like us. So that just as he rose again victoriously, firstborn from the dead, we too who have faith in him will rise too. Christ truly is firstborn from the dead and so we have humility and hope 
both this Christmas and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have made a way for us through your Son and through his blood. For that we are so thankful. Lord, would you be working in our hearts, helping us to meditate more on what it is that Christ has done for us this Christmas season, that he is truly firstborn from the dead, that through him has come a new beginning for us. Lord, would you help that to work its way out into our lives with the humility that we have, the way we put you first and others first, but also the hope we have in the face of darkness and pain and death, the hope of new resurrection life brought to us through your son, Jesus. Would you bless us now as we approach your table, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.